Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. All right, welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. We are here with Dr. Shannon Westlake. Thanks for coming back again. Thank you. Yes, we're excited to have you on. In the past, we've been talking about all things pollinator conservation, human dimensions, and we're switching gears this morning to talk about something a little more fun. Not that those are not fun. I should have said it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I guess something we're both not researchers on, something that we can just kind of brainstorm about, and that's engaging a new generation in conservation. Um, which is very important to keeping the general public engaged and our young generations engaged in these conservation efforts and being aware of conservation issues. Um, but it can be tricky, too. So, so, so bear with us here as we kind of discuss this in, in a free-flowing fashion. Um, so especially the millennial generation, new generations uh, growing up um, and getting involved in the business world and in in, uh, politics and things like that. We want everyone to be involved in conservation. Um, And and so trying to grasp how we connect with folks, how we connect folks with nature is particularly important. Um, So along those lines... That's that's the direction we're going. Um, and we both use different mediums, like we are right now, to connect with folks and to connect folks to our conservation research. So whether they're traditional publications, scientific publications, extension publications, or things like podcasts now that we have, uh, we want folks to be involved and we want our information to be relevant. So... And we're also both millennials. So I think that's important. Uh, you know, technically we qualify as that. I don't know if we identify as that. Yeah. But we qualify as that, which is great. Um, so when it comes to the environment and the outdoors, we want our information to resonate with people and for folks to feel connected to the outdoors. What do you think are some barriers or disconnection between the new generation and nature? Just from, just from your experience. I think there's two major barriers or constraints. And I think the first is they have grown up differently. And I know, yes, by definition of the year I was born, I guess I am a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> but by the traditional definition that people think millennials are, I do not fit it. You know, I grew up in nature, uh, hugging trees, chasing insects, playing outside. I didn't have a cell phone. You know, we played games rarely, watched TV rarely. You know, I was always outside or with a book. So I think the generations now growing up, uh, they don't have that as much. Uh, Even there's been research showing that more people are moving from rural areas to go toward more metropolitan areas, whether it's more suburbans or cities themselves. And once you're in those areas, you also have less access to nature. You know, me growing up, it was a rural area. I was surrounded by farms or by forests. So I was always playing outside. Whereas a lot of people, again, if you're growing up in a city area, you may have like a tiny green lawn, but you don't really have much access to that type of stuff. So that can be challenging. Um, so they don't have a background in this. So connecting with nature or conservation can be difficult because they didn't grow up surrounded by it. 
And the other big thing I think is social norms. So now in the years of technology growth that we're having, it's incredible and it can be really beneficial, but it can also be negative. You know, if people have their face in their cell phone or an iPad or a TV, you know, binge watching a show over the weekend versus taking a walk in nature, you know, that's the norm now. So if that's what you're doing, if that's what all your friends are doing, you know, that's what's going to be perpetuated and continued. So that can be a big barrier as well as far as people maybe not wanting to break those norms. They want to hang out with their friends. What are they doing? Watching a show, playing on their phone versus me and my friends used to get on our bikes and go figure out what we can find in the forest that day. So it's just it's different now. I don't envy the kids that are growing up nowadays, but I think there are plenty of opportunities to get them more involved. Um, so it's definitely not an excuse to not have any connection with nature. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with all that. There's definitely uh, an enormous amount of technological distraction, which can be beneficial to uh, the education of our young folks, but it can also be, as I mentioned, a distraction. Um, I like what you mentioned about your youth experiences. So every single person that I have had on the podcast, usually when I ask them about their background and how they got into their position, specifically in conservation-related fields, they all have... Um, very vivid and explicit young experiences with nature, young connections with nature, Um, whether it was growing up in rural areas or just spending more time outdoors, specific activities they did with their families. And I can say the same same for myself that I, I had, you know, very clear youth experiences that gave me a strong connection to nature where I want to understand how I interact with it, how I, how it serves me. Um, and, and especially working in a concert conservation related field, it's become clearly a, a central component of my adulthood. But at the same time, um, even if we want to cultivate all those outdoor experiences for our young people, there can be so many challenges to do that. Um, just as you mentioned, folks growing up in urban areas where there's not as much immediate opportunity to be in a natural space and connect with nature, but certainly also plenty of socioeconomic disadvantages in certain parts of the country where there's just not the time or the resources to expose young folks to the outdoors. So that certainly, and I'm kind of hearing Dr. Leslie Berger in the back of my mind, because she does youth education research, and and I know that cultivating those experiences is like a central component of of the opportunities she tries to create for young people to connect them to the outdoors so that they have that connection too. Um, And that's more the youth age young so let's say folks do or do not have that and then they're maybe in their 20s right and we want to continue to have continue to facilitate authentic connections with nature for these for these young folks so that they understand nature continue to feel that connection and and want to continue to understand and support conservation um, concerns needs whatever it may be and we talked about in one of our earlier episodes just how limited time is. How limited time is, but also how how different social activities are becoming for some of our young people. Um, they're not just the regular things folks used to do when they're young, hanging out around town at a local hangout. Mm-hmm. They've got 
incredible connection on their cel- mm-hmm. cellular devices to to experiences and opportunities. So how do you think folks are using their time differently where we might be able to integrate uh, continued connection to, out- to the outdoors? I think time is an interesting thing. Uh, time is a construct. Yes, we all have 24 hours in a day. Sometimes it feels like there's like 12 in a day. Um, but time, time is definitely a constraint for a lot of different things. But I think when you really start looking at your time, and this is something that I've done, like really time out your schedule, especially if you're trying to get more time to yourself or more time to nature, look at what you're really truly spending your time on. You know, if you're at work for eight hours a day, but two of those hours were spent scrolling social media, and now all of a sudden, well, I've got to work 10 hours today. Well, not really. Like if you were more efficient with your time and not using certain things, you can limit that. You can actually work in those eight hours and then have that time at the end of the day. And I think time gets used as an excuse a lot. I don't have enough time to do things. And there are instances, I'm sure, where that is true. We are overtaxed, but we're also always plugged in. So we're always on, you know, whether it's you know, listening to a podcast, it could be beneficial, but it's something that you're plugged into. You're listening to in your car, to your drive to work, and then you're working all day. Then you're listening to something else on your drive home, and then you get home and you've got to cook maybe for you or for your family, and then you're tired. You don't have the time to go do stuff. So I think really looking at your time in the day and how you're using it, you can start being more cognizant of that. And then maybe start trimming some of that down. Maybe don't scroll social media for an hour. Maybe go for a walk. Or maybe scroll social media while you're outside walking. Be careful. But, you know, or go sit at a park bench. Yeah. (laughs) Be careful. Don't do it while you're driving, please. Um, But other than that, I mean, change your atmosphere. Don't sit on your couch, you know, scrolling through or doing something or calling a friend. Go sit in a park someplace and do it. And then once you start doing that, you can still use your technology. Like, I love to take pictures. So oftentimes when I am outside, I do have technology with me, um, taking a picture of an insect or sharing it or something like that. But that's where we can use it. We don't need to have... I mean, it would be beneficial to have a sharp separation so you can really immerse yourself in nature and get connected. But that's a lot to ask, especially youth that have never had that separation like we have. So figure out how to get them more involved. And there's a lot of different groups that are starting to look into this. You know, there's a lot of great technology apps that are like, all right, you know, your bird finder or whatever, go out there and try to identify this bird or this plant. So we can find ways to marry both the technology and conservation and being outside. And those are great ways, I think, to promote it and get people started to get outside and get exploring it, you know, for the eventual hope of building these stronger connections. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great point because I think as our social activities are changing and people are really trying and wanting to reconnect with nature and with other people in their community too, because it's great to be able to, to have an online community and connect with people so easily, but you still need that human to human connection and, and being outside can be incredible for wellness. There's plenty of research out there that just being in the outdoors Mm is, is, um, good for one's health um that yes creating social activities within the outdoors um and even around learning at some at some level can be hugely beneficial so geocaching was really popular for a while i don't know if it still is um but that is kind of like an outdoor scavenger hunt Mm -hmm. using your cellular technology um and there's plenty of other areas that if you travel there you can find experiences that people are hosting whether it's 
because so I went to Colorado last summer, and when I looked up on Airbnb, they had all these experiences, mm-hmm. and some of them were like yoga at Red Rocks, morning hike, and so it's actually like crafting your experiences around these activities, whether they're nature walks, hiking experiences, learning experiences, as, as I mentioned. So you're, maybe you're not just hiking, but you're learning different tree species in mm-hmm. your native re, in your native area or your your region, wherever you live, um, or plant species or bird species, things like that. Um, and it's so interesting um, because when I was going on that trip, I was certainly willing to pay for that mm-hmm. those experiences, and people are so willing to pay for these types of nature connecting experiences um we talked earlier off the podcast about the um the prevalence of nature retreats and how you know despite this hustle and bustle and we never have enough time then people carve out weeks Mm -hmm. and spend thousands of dollars to go on major retreats that reconnect them with nature Right. Yep. When really maybe we could be doing it as a, a part of our daily activities and right. and surveying conservation in different ways while we do it. Right. And that speaks to even conservation on a much larger scale of viewing where are we in nature? Are we a part of nature? Or are we a part of nature? And that's bringing that nature home. Um, I've done a ton of research into that because of the human dimensions looking at um, how people view themselves connected to nature. And a lot of people assume, you know, wilderness is this far off place. And for me to truly connect and be with nature, I have to go far away from my home in order to do this. And yes, that's true. Whether if you want to like go to Colorado or go to the Smokies, you can feel more isolated. And that is a wonderful feeling. But you can also do those types of things at home or, you know, in a nearby park, even here in Mississippi, like right in Starkville, there's a park just a few stones throw away from my apartment. And I just went out there the other day. No, it's not like what you're going to see in the Smokies, but I was still outside. I was still soaking up that vitamin D. So, you know, it's important to realize that we can have these connections where we live. So we're not so reach a point of stress and anxiety that we have to like run away to escape to it and then come back to our regular life. I'm so glad, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was kind of where, where I wanted to head in in really how we visualize ourselves within and with the natural environment or the environment. Um, Because there is is plenty um, of information that that a large part of the population views themselves as separate. Mm -hmm. It's like humans are here and the environment is separate. But we are within, within and a part of it, mm-hmm. certainly. And as you mentioned, those environments, even in urban areas, are still our environments. They're mm-hmm. still the outdoors, even if we've changed them. Um, and it's so interesting, too, as as um, as culture changes and our environments change, how even job descriptions in conservation change. So now we have so many urban wildlife specialist positions that are opening up. And it speaks to the fact that we still have wildlife in our urban areas and we still have nature in our urban areas. Um, And and there's a need for people to mediate that and Mm -hmm. teach people about it. Uh, Because we are, no matter what we build, we're not separate from nature. We are a part of it. Um, So yeah, that would certainly be kind of changing that mindset would certainly be a goal of this reconnection with nature and viewing ourselves differently within it. Um, So for the average citizen, urban or rural, we've given some ideas about where they could start with connecting with nature. Do you have any other ideas about basic ways 
in the smallest sense, people can start reconnecting with nature or or um, maybe even helping their children reconnect with nature, depending on their age or level of participation already. Yeah, I think uh, becoming more aware, I feel like when we're in a more suburban or city-type landscape, it's really easy to uh, really uh, put yourself in a silo like we were talking about earlier. This is my home. This is where I live. This is my car. I drive to work. This is work. I get back in my car. I go home. Oh, and I go to the grocery store. Oh, you and just described it. my whole life. <laughs> right? <laughs> but then it's like, what else do I have in this town? You know, like I just mentioned with Starkville, we have like a park around the corner and then a sports complex right across the street. I lived in Starkville for two years before I even knew those existed because I never really sought them out. So maybe it's as simple as, you know, starting to seek some of that stuff out. You know, soon I'm going to be moving up to Lexington near family. And uh, my sister is busy all the time doing stuff. I get it. Um, But at the same time, I love to be outside. So I'm like, well, I need to find nature here. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to go and research some places. And I already found some places. And I'm going to be taking my nephew to them and checking them out. So it's as simple as, I guess, opening those silos, like opening our eyes a little bit wider to realizing what do we truly have around us. And I think the more we connect with that, we start to realize, oh, we do have nature here. And then you start realizing, oh, I have those songbirds. So then you start knowing what's missing when it's not there anymore. And I think that's a large part of the issue with conservation is if people don't see it, they're not aware of the issues that we're having. So if we can see nature in our homes and surrounding us, we can be more connected to it in simple ways. Again, just that, like seeking it out and becoming more connected to it. And then that can lead to more opportunities as far as, well, then maybe you realize I don't have much here. So what would it take to start a community garden or a community park? Like who would I need to talk to? Who can I collaborate with that? You know, again, having that time and the effort and willingness to do something like that but that's where our grassroots start and we need more of those efforts to get especially nature in more of these urban areas and in rural normally we're blessed enough to have a lot of that out in the landscape but not everywhere especially if it's a highly agricultural area then you're starting to look at well how can I bring more conservation practices into these landscapes to bring nature back to still be productive on this landscape but to still have these elements that support other wildlife species and more of this nature that we envision that we can connect to. Yeah, those are those are great ideas. And we talked in an earlier episode, too, about volunteering and how it can be such a, a rewarding learning experience, also a social outlet. And and I think no matter what community you're in, and I've I've actually learned to appreciate this more in the, in the South now, living here in Mississippi for almost nine years, um, folks are really invested in their local communities. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting that until you start seeking out that connection and those opportunities you don't even know the needs that exist in your community and you and and then you find that a lot of folks in into adulthood spend more time on those community engagement things and many of them now just based on need are focused on different restorations Mm -hmm. uh you know conservation within parks keeping up local state parks uh volunteering opportunities watershed volunteering all kinds of environmentally based conservation based volunteer opportunities that support community development at the same time and those youth experiences which again this is why we say it's all really interconnected but you know 
when you live in a place, you want it to be a great place to live at the same time. And so it's really a great way to not only connect with nature, but also serve the community and, and have social interaction while you do it and Mm -hmm. build social communities. Yes. So, so many opportunities for folks, especially as we move into the future, because we don't really find ourselves with less environmental concern each year. There's different things, whether it's water quality protection, natural landscape protection, reducing flood risk, Mm -hmm. reducing, you know, cleaning up from extreme disasters. It seems like there's always a need somewhere. Um, So maybe as part of someone's New Year's resolutions, (laughs) they want to integrate some of that, but all great ways that we can continue to connect with nature and help the future generations connect with nature too. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And maybe we'll get you back here at some point in your new role, wherever that might be. Yes, to be determined. (laughs) All right, thanks. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.